Hello and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a very special guest, a filmmaker, a singer, simply a lovely human being. Please welcome Raina Lamb. Hi. <laughs> Raina has chosen a wonderful film for us to dive into today. But before we dive into the feature film, we're going to dive into Raina <laughs> with a couple of background questions. She'd made a face at that <laughs> suggestion. Oh my. Oh, no. oh my. <laughs> so our first question is, what was the first movie that you remember seeing in theaters? Hands down, Lion King. Yeah, I, th- I feel like I saw Lion King pop up a lot in, in your podcast in the past as well. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Four years old, 1994. And I remember this because, well, it's one of those where you're not sure if you remember it or if somebody told you the memory mm-hmm. enough times. Yeah. But the story goes that I went with my grandparents and I hold my grandpa at the stampede scene that it's going to be okay. (laughs) And if he's scared, I can hold his hand or sit on his lap if he's, if he needs some help and support. (laughs) So that is my earliest theater going memory. That's so precious. (laughs) I love it. Do you remember, or have they told you like how your grandpa responded? Like, did he take you up on it? I think he may have. I don't know. I think it was just the 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 precociousness of it all that was the the focus of the story. Because, <laughs> oh. like, obviously, I was scared. <laughs> right, right. Do you remember how you did respond after? You know, when the the what's his name dies. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Simba's father. Simba's father. Yeah. Mufasa. Mufasa. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I fully like understood what was going on in that moment Mm -hmm. I think I was mostly terrified of the stampede Mm -hmm. and like the sheer like overwhelming stampede of it all (laughs) and that that John Williams score like I can hear it in my head immediately right now the anxiety of that (laughs) oh god (laughs) something bad's happening it's such an iconic film for so many reasons I may have understood that Mufasa had died in that moment. I th- I think what I vaguely remember really internalizing is like the shame of Simba, but not really understanding why he felt guilty. But the banishment was like, that kind of left an impression on me. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Run, Simba. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. That, that, I, I think, same for me. I think that was more emotionally, emotionally impacting was the, the scene after the death. Yeah. Partially, I think, because, yeah, I didn't, at that age, we didn't have a solid concept of what death was. I was just like, where'd he go? And why? <laughs> and why? Why is he in trouble? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember either from that first time or from another early time seeing a movie with your your parents or your family? Do you remember the impression you had of of the experience of going to the movies? So going to the movie theater is a very common thing for my family and I to do. That's like one of the common activities for us. So it's kind of hard to not blur all of the most recent theater going experiences with like all past theater experiences. But yeah, I mean, normally it would be both my parents, myself and my maternal grandparents. So we would like need five seats at the theater and like everyone kind of had their idiosyncrasies when going to the theater. My mom or my dad would be in charge of parking the car and me and my grandparents and the other parent would like rush to get the ticket and like rush in to get the seats and cover the seats with our coats (laughs) while the other parent rushes back in to get the popcorn. It's like, it's a whole like production, you know, it's like Ocean's Eleven to go see a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone has their job and we all just like seamlessly do it. And then we finally settle in, but then somebody always forgets that they wanted a cup of water. And so they got to get back out to get the water. Like it's a whole yeah. thing. And then when the movie's done, everyone immediately gets up 
because we don't want traffic, you know? So, but we've, we've got to run to the bathroom and then get our car and, and rush out. But yeah, <laughs> the movie going experience. <laughs> that, I remember the before and the after mostly. Gotcha. Was it, did you enjoy that or did you ever find that stressful at all? Or? No, I think it, there was like comfort in the tradition and the, I don't know, repetitiveness of it all. It was like, oh yeah, that's what he always does or what she always does or what my job is. Yeah, it was always exciting to go see movies together. And most likely it would it would be like an action film or mm. like the latest cartoon or something. We never watched like scary movies or anything like that. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, that, that sounds comforting because I, I find anything comforting, like even just working with people can be comforting when everyone just has a role. And it's like, you take care of your role. I take care of mine. Like there's something very comforting in that. Like, yeah, I guess it's almost a community experience. <laughs> Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like a team effort, even though there's no work to be done, but (laughs) the work work is to have fun. Yeah. (laughs) Get the job done. You got to do it the right way. (laughs) I feel that. What was the first movie that you remember seeing without your family in theaters? So this was actually like really hard for me to figure out. Until I just, I basically started Googling what movies came out starting the year that I was in eighth grade. Cause I was like, that sounds about the right age. And it turns out, I'm pretty sure it was V for Vendetta Mm. or House of Wax. Okay. Both of which I did not enjoy at all. (laughs) (laughs) As a 15 year old ninth grader in 2005, like both were pretty traumatic experiences. (laughs) And I have no idea of who I went with, but I know I didn't see it with my parents and I know that I saw them in theaters. So must've gotcha. been So your first experience was probably not good since it was like a bad movie. Yeah. Or a movie you didn't enjoy rather. Yeah. I mean, V for Vendetta is arguably a, a great movie. A lot of people love it. I did not know what was happening mm-hmm. at all. And I haven't seen it again since. So I'm still confused by that movie. <laughs> And then House of Wax, I'm just not a scary movie person. I get so terrified after the fact, even though it's like a silly, scary movie. I mean, it has Paris Hilton in it and like she dies from a stake going through her head Mm. and it's like really silly and like Mm -hmm. uh, campy, but I still like, I I still think about it at night when I go to bed. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) I'm not a scary movie person. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like whoever else I was there with thought the movie was hilarious. And I was just <laughs> like terrified the entire time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Like th- that it still flashes in your mind. Cause I think that's something that people need to consider when you're, I don't know, considering how people consume media because some people are able to be passive and some people like me also get images seared in our brains that we'll replay for the rest of our lives forever and ever <laughs> yeah ever, ever? yes like, <laughs> it never stops yeah totally well I don't know if this is too deep too deep but like the other day I had a, a therapist appointment and we were uh doing like inner child work mm. and one of the things that my therapist said really stuck with me which was like child version of you has seen a lot of scary things, whether that's, you know, somebody yelling down the street one time when you're walking the city or a scary movie or a a scary scene in a TV show, or like actual scary uh, experiences at home or with your friends. There's a huge range of scary things. And when you're that little, they're all kind of on the same level of scariness and how it affects your body and your mind. And like how you emotionally store that scariness. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even like, you know, when you think about childhood trauma, you think about big events and awful things that happen to you directly. But I didn't think about like the mundanity of like a TV show scene or something. Totally. It was so true. <laughs> yeah. And it does oh, vary wow. from, it varies from child to child. But I think that's the thing is like, you have to really, if it's your child, you have to really know your child to know how the movie is going to, how a movie is going to affect them. You can't assume like, well, I loved, you know, watching Friday the 13th when I was five and I turned out fine. (laughs) So they'll be fine too. You just don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no, thank you. But I will say studies have shown that at least physiologically, 
movies do affect you like as if it is happening to you like your brain really processes images the same way as if you were in in the place it's just the connection oh. between psychologically how you interpret that and how that actually affects you whether that's something you actually like uh i don't know imprint into your brain and replay it just all depends on the individual but physiologically wow. you're like if you got hooked up to a heart rate monitor and you know test your sweat and all that it's going to be very close to what it would be if you were witnessing it for real. Oh, that's wild and yeah. disturbing now that I'm like <laughs> thinking about what movies I've watched. <laughs> yeah, people really need to to consider that more and not like just so casually show murder movies to their children. I totally. Think. Yeah, or like put our own selves through a lot of like trauma over and over again. Like the whole meme of like women watching serial killer uh movies or TV shows or listening mm -hmm. to the podcast. Like, yeah her limbs were gone her head was gone like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <She's> like <laughs> and it's like oh uh hmm. yeah maybe I shouldn't listen to that right before I go to bed and <laughs> alone in my home like as a woman like <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah it's just it's so very it's very normalized to kind of commodify emotional experiences through in that way but yeah hmm. yeah terrifying <laughs> But cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Psychology. <laughs> so that one you don't actually remember. Do you remember a time where you went to the movies without your parents and it was this experience of like uh, independence or you felt like, oh, this is a special, like it's just me and friends or a date or something? Oh, I need to look up the name of the movie. I know it had the word cheerleader in it. Okay. And it was the, th it was, my first week in college actually <laughs> which I don't know for some reason that sounds really silly to me because it seems like that feeling should happen earlier but it was the first week of college and I was attending Mills College which is an all-women's college and a bunch of the girls were watching but I'm a cheerleader ah it's it's no so it was made in 1999 apparently starring Natasha Leone. So that's, that's like some context there. And it was kind of like the first film that I saw that was like unashamedly queer and experimental, kind of like raunchy as well. And like to watch that with peers, it wasn't in a theater, but it was like in a group setting mm. without any supervision or needing approval obviously, because it's like <laughs> the first week of college. But that was the first time where I was just like, damn, like I can watch anything I want to watch at any time <laughs> with anyone. Like, <laughs> this is wild. <laughs> this is my first oh, yeah. time like really away from home for a substantial amount of time. So yeah. yeah, that's such a good one. I've never seen it. But yeah, I just Googled it just now. And that it sounds really cool for that experience. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, other than the feature film that you selected, please tell us about another one of your favorite movies of all time and why. Okay, so I made a list Sweet. of multiple movies. Is that okay? Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, so the first movie I always go to is Roman Holiday. Audrey Hepburn was like a massive influence when I was growing up. She was like top tier celebrity that I was obsessed with maybe from like I don't know I think fifth fourth grade through through college even I'm still <laughs> obsessed with her <laughs> but Roman Holiday was like the first Audrey Hepburn film I've ever seen and it's also I think one of her earliest films if not first after Gigi but it's it's kind of a movie for its time in my opinion that really captured a female character that was allowed to be feisty and sprightly and uh, adventurous. Uh, but the whole premise is that like, this is a, a princess who runs away and like spends a day with a journalist 
in Rome and has a bunch of fun. And then at the end, she she sucks it up and goes back to her her princessly duties. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's just like Audrey Hepburn is just so fresh and believable in this in this movie. And Gregory Peck, the love interest, kind of takes a back seat, in my opinion, in the whole movie. And he like lets her shine the whole time, mm. which is pretty exciting to watch as mm. a fifth grader. It was just like, oh wow, like she is the star of this film. Like no doubt about it. Even though Gregory Peck is far more at the time famous than she was and like was the star cast. So yeah, watching him just like admire her in her authenticity was a really cool thing to witness. Anyway, so that was like my first favorite nice. of many. And then the other ones I had listed was Heart of a Dog by Laurie Anderson, which is this beautiful, tragic stop animation film Ooh. that Laurie Anderson, the musician, created. And it's this kind of never-ending stream of consciousness about the existence of her dog who <laughs> will eventually die and oh. like talking about that cycle of like life and death and love and partnership and companionship and she kind of like personifies her dog as well and speaks for her dog um, and then kind of has her stream of consciousness weaving in and out of it it's like so visually beautiful and yeah, and there and there's some like mixed media, like archival footage in there too. But that's it's a sobering experience, but it's very, very beautiful and poetic. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I'd love to see that. Do you know if it's available on streaming? I think you can like rent it on Amazon Prime, like most okay. films, unfortunately. Um, but it's I'll bet like, you can rent it on YouTube though, because I, that's what I usually do. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So it's, it's worth the $1.99 or four <laughs> bucks or whatever it is. Very, very good watch. Nice. And then I have like three more. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go for okay. it. Tarnation by Jonathan Cowett is again, a very sobering, possibly traumatic film to watch, but it's a documentary that the director created about his own mother and her mental illness and also himself discovering his like homosexuality and trying to grok both of those things at the same time mm -hmm. and the way that the, the documentary is put together is through like audio recordings of his mother footage that he shot of himself and his mother and a lot of it, it seems like it shouldn't be recorded mm -hmm. so it really feels like you're you're watching something you're not supposed to be watching and the way that it's edited is just pretty heartbreaking, <laughs> mm. but a worthy watch as a, a fellow filmmaker, but also for anyone who is, I don't know, interested in those topics of trying to figure out or, or sift through identities and generational trauma. Yeah. Which is a big theme that's going to come up later. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the other two, I'll, I'll be really short about them, yeah. is Red Glyph by John Woo, because I love a, a giant war scene. I love <laughs> like battle scenes. And I just love how Red Cliff shows the strategy behind it. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting to me because I see the trees instead of the forest so having a, a film just like so clearly show you the bigger picture is like really helpful for me and my brain and then Mothlight by Stan Brackage is like my ultimate favorite film ever because it just made me realize that films can be made in really weird ways like taking dead moths and taping them to film and running them through a projector Damn. yeah <laughs> wait is there a story what's the story Stan Brackage is a is experimental filmmaker and a lot of his work is like process work. Mm. I put my fingers up in air quotes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the work that people know him for is um, he would take film and physically paint on top of it Ooh. with different kinds of paints, like acrylics and stuff like that. So there'd be like a lot of like thickness uh, and texture that you wouldn't necessarily see if you shot it with a camera. Mm. You're like literally seeing the physical object uh, against film wow. uh, being projected, which is like really fascinating and potentially dangerous too, because like <laughs> even at the time, the, the film itself could go up in flames because of the projector heat. Mm. But it was really interesting to just think about art less as a narrative, specifically film as a narrative, and more so as like a, a medium, just like painting or drawing or sculpture might be. Mm. I love that. That's really cool. 
Well, I would have taken notes, but luckily we're recording this, so I can just play this back <laughs> and go find all of those movies. <laughs> I'll send you a list later. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so overall, how would you describe your relationship with movies? Um, fraught. Fraught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for my day job, I'm a video producer. I don't make feature films. I do make some short films here and there. But because so many of my days are are just covered in the logistics of making films, I can't help but to think, oh, how much was the budget? What kind of insurance do they need? Like, what kind of like weird onset roles would you need for that particular scene? Like, mm. did they storyboard that thoroughly? Like, there's all these like, you know, or like noticing the lighting or there's all these like details that I am distracted by as a filmmaker, rather than just suspending my disbelief and enjoying a freaking film for once, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of cool too. Like it's annoying, but it's also kind of cool to have another like parallel line of thought happening while I'm watching a film. Yeah. Yeah. But also I feel like guilty a lot as a filmmaker because I didn't watch a lot of films that like seemingly everyone else has there's a lot mm-hmm. of like pop culture I don't know about mm-hmm. like I haven't seen all the Star Wars <laughs> that's okay or all the Harry Potters oh, that's or okay. all the Lord of the Rings <laughs> <That's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> or the Godfather like all of that stuff there's a lot of media that I didn't ingest whether it was because my parents thought it was inappropriate at the time or I just haven't gotten around to it so I don't feel as knowledgeable as many of the people in my industry about films Hmm. I will say, so there's a podcast about movies called Toss Popcorn that's hosted by two comedians who are women. Their project is that they're viewing all of the 100 AFI, like best movies of all time, like the classics. And I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I will say they're definitely dissecting the fact that most, the vast majority of those films are movies by, for, and about white straight men. So whenever someone's like, I haven't seen the classics, I'm like, that is fine. <laughs> like, it's really validating to hear. <laughs> yes. And I will also say probably obviously, I guess, problematic as hell. Like there's so much yeah. misogyny and racism and sexism and just toxic stuff in these, you know, classic movies. So and that's not to say you can't watch anything that's problematic. You can still watch and enjoy and or find art in things that are problematic or are old and have issues because of being old. But to say that like people have to see any movie, I think is is inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for voicing that. I I feel really validated <laughs> in my inexperience of watching said classics. And also, yeah, my experience of watching them when I do. Where it's just like, really? This? Yeah. Or just kind of like, okay, it's something I've seen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is going to come up later too when we talk about the featured films. <laughs> nice. Yes. The other thing I was going to say is you were saying like how your relationship is fraught with film and like being behind the scenes has changed how you consume them, which I think is super interesting. And I can totally imagine because that's how my relationship with film started because by the time I started watching movies like as a toddler my mom was a film student and so she was making movies making me be in her movies and I was like seeing her edit like I would she would take me to school she went to San Francisco the film school that Uh they have (laughs) I was little I don't remember (laughs) but I would see her like editing and learning about green screens and special effects and all that and so that meant when I watched stuff like Star Wars I, I not only never questioned if it was real or not I knew it was fake I could also like point out the scenes where I was like "Ooh, the green screen and that scene wasn't very good like it looks a little looks a little fake in that scene (laughs) (laughs) I love that like an informed view as a kiddo like yeah incredible I didn't know that about your mom that's so that's really cool context to have Yeah, she didn't end up going into filmmaking, but yeah, she was at film school for a number of years. So I can only imagine like from that, you know, small sort of adjacent experience, what it would be like actually being involved. It it definitely changes how you how you um, ingest media. Yeah, I get I normally just get really stressed out. 
Mm. (laughs) Like my particular job is to handle all of the logistics of a production. Mm. So just like watching a scene that seems like incredibly difficult to to make happen. Mm -hmm. I like to say that it makes me excited, but I'm mostly just really freaked out and stressed. (laughs) Oh my God, how did they do this? Yeah. I can only imagine the process of doing that and how painstaking it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I just love learning about all the different ways that people experience film because I think we're both saying that like watching scary or gory stuff like sticks with us, whereas other people can like watch it and and laugh or it doesn't, you know, stick with them the same way. And then we both also have that experience of like thinking of how the process, like how the people, how the people making the movie experience making the movie. Yes, exactly. I think both of them like somehow connect to trauma in general, (laughs) unfortunately. Like, (laughs) yeah, yes, definitely. Yes. And I think also how we process trauma, because I think it's also the same that some kids who experience trauma process it differently too. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. The other day I was on set and I noticed that there was nothing to do, but I was literally sweating and shaking. (laughs) And I was like, why am I so anxious right now? And I was like muttering it to myself. And the person next to me was like, me too. Oh, I'm not the only one. And we both looked at each other and we're like, there's nothing wrong happening. Right. And And we both like confirmed there's nothing wrong happening. But that in itself felt wrong (laughs) because filmmaking is just such a traumatic experience in general, where it's just like, you know, things never go as planned. And like, there's always an urgency or a panic. And like, when you are on a calm set, it's a little confusing and your body is like just waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) That's a lot about the industry, unfortunately, or just our particular experiences. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that can probably be extrapolated from what I've heard to about onset environments and everything. Yeah. So, everyone who's listening to this, please appreciate your filmmakers. <laughs> 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 they go through so much just to make you your cute little scenes. That <laughs> you can fully suspend your disbelief and yeah. <laughs> lucky you guys. I know. <laughs> This is the space where the ads go. Greetings, folks. This is Daniel Cordova, your host and metal guide of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. Far Beyond Metal is a show that sets out to defy what it means to be metal by exploring the minds of the musicians, writers, and metal media staples behind the genre that is largely made up of adults growling like monsters. Is the entire show an excuse for me to talk about The Simpsons, Prince, and Cats with my metal heroes? Absolutely. But we also talk about, I don't know, guitars and new albums and stuff too. Each episode also features a guest squirming as they discuss their first band, and I recommend a new band for you to check out. It's a potpourri of metallic mayhem. You can find the show over at farbeyondmetalpodcast.com. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty. And I'm Joe, and we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, its myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. We discuss things like, did Elvis fake his own death? Is Stevie Wonder really blind? Is Dolly Parton's husband actually real? Find out all that and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite streaming service. The Future The future is incredible, and we are living it right now. We are living in a world where Darth Vader can Kamehameha the Jonesy cat off of my back. The future, technology, it's amazing. I, for one, love it. And you know what's a new piece of technology I just heard about? It's called Newsly. It's an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up most trending articles on the web on topics that you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time, all in one place, Newsly. You can browse articles from topics you choose. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even the Kardashian. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. Oh, it's just like daddy technology reading you a bedtime story. Love it. 
and they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries. Our podcast, Bring Your Own Popcorn, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. That's newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code OWNPOPCORN to receive one month free premium subscription. The future is now and it's beautiful. The featured film we are discussing today, chosen by Reina, is a 2022 3D animated coming-of-age comedy that was the feature-length directorial debut for Domi Shi, an animator, director, and screenwriter who has worked on many Pixar hit films, including Inside Out, The Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. She wrote the film together with award-winning playwright and television writer Julia Cho. Domi Shi also directed the Academy Award-winning short film, Bao, which was the first Pixar short film to be directed by a woman. Today's movie was the first Pixar feature-length film to be directed by a woman and one of only a few Pixar films to be directed by a person of color. Its creative leads were also the first all-female team for a Pixar film, and it was scheduled to release in theaters globally on March 11th, 2022. But due to concern over the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, it was instead released directly to Disney Plus streaming on the same date. This movie was the most streamed program on any platform from March 14th to March 20th. The movie we are talking about today is Turning Red. Raina's doing a little dance, so you know. <laughs> Warranted. <laughs> Raina, thank you so much for choosing this movie. I've been meaning to watch it, and this finally like forced me to to get down to watching it, which I wasn't like not watching it for any reason. I just don't watch as many movies as I used to. Same. Yeah. But excellent choice. And to get us started, tell me. In your opinion, what are the most important things that happen in this movie? And you can include like a brief summary and spoilers are all good. I have like a minute to minute breakdown for you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Like, I also wrote down a, a few themes, so that might be more helpful. <laughs> yes, sounds good. Okay. So to give like an overview of, of what happens in this film, it's set in Toronto, Canada in 2002. And the main character, Mei Li, is... 13 years old and she's in eighth grade and on a very surface level this movie is about puberty and friendship and family and boy bands and the freshness of adolescence in 2002 but like on a deeper level uh some of the themes that some people can see in this movie uh would be like duty obedience tradition uh generational trauma shadow work, mother-child's relationship, self-acceptance, identity, learning how to control your emotions. Uh, So a lot of of the big topics that Pixar can touch on sometimes in in their movies. Um, And I think in this movie, those themes were touched on in a big way, at least for me and my interpretation of it. Absolutely. You, you mentioned before, well, hopefully this is okay to say, I'll edit it out. If not, you mentioned before we, before we started recording, you mentioned that you were scrubbing to your favorite scene and then started crying instantly. And what I didn't respond because I wanted to tell you now is that, yeah, I cried so much during this movie. I cried 30 seconds, like just during the intro when she was like, family is important. I was just like, (laughs) instantly. Like the family photos and everything. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's got me already. Immediately sobbing. (laughs) So much. Yeah. Have some tissues with this one. Yeah. This, yeah, this film. So to give some context as to why I was crying so much, I thought this context mattered, but then scrubbing through it today, it came up again, but I so I watched this movie in theaters on March 13th 
of 2022. And I was able to do that because I have a friend who works at Pixar and they had like a special screening for Pixar employees that worked on the film and their children. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. which was really cool. And they invited me, which was so sweet. Yeah. And I decided to bring my boyfriend that I was dating at the time, who is now an ex, um, and also my best friend. So us three went and we were just surrounded by children everywhere <laughs> <laughs> in this uh, in this historic theater in Oakland, Grand Lake Theater. Wow which uh, normally they have an organ player playing before a movie starts. And it's very like community uh, experience to watch a movie in that particular theater. The the audience tends to be like really interactive with the film and like uh, interactive with the staff there as well. So it was a super special screening. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was also the first time I was in a theater after the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. I mean, during pandemic, but since the pandemic started, it was my first theater experience. And to be surrounded by kiddos in a theater for the first time in a really long time, watching a movie about these particular themes just like completely made me lose it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like the, I was trying to to write down the moments that I remember crying or like really crying hard because I was literally crying through the entire movie. But I started at seven minutes uh, when the mother and daughter were working together at the altar um, in Mm -hmm. their family temple. And for some like life context for me, my mother and I lived in Chinatown, San Francisco for two years of my youth when I was six and seven years old. And we were separated from my dad at the time. So that, that time in my life was like really focused on being a team with my mom mm-hmm. and also adventuring and understanding this new world that I was suddenly thrown into, which was Chinatown, San Francisco, which looks so much like Chinatown, Toronto <laughs> in the movie, like her running down the street and bumping into grannies and grandpas and saying hello to the elders in the courtyard. There was a temple right across the street from the condo that I lived in with my mom. And she and I would go to the temple as well and bow three times with our incense to our, our actual ancestors who have plaques in there. Cause my great grandmother lived in the condo that we were living in. So mm-hmm. just watching that scene seven minutes into the film. Yeah. <laughs> immediately wrecked me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then like nine minutes into the film it it cuts to her father cooking and like that is absolutely like a major role in my family for my father he cooks for us all the time he comes from a restaurant family like he is so incredible with cooking Mm. and it's this incredibly romanticized scene of the father cooking uh, and how delicious delicious it is and how much of a master he is in the in the kitchen and it's just like oh my god it's the dad too I'm still <laughs> crying at like minute nine yeah 20 27 minutes in they talk about the history of the red panda and like an hour and five minutes in <laughs> like an hour and 22 minutes in an hour and 24 minutes like literally I was I was just trying to type in like the biggest scenes for me in this movie and I just kept typing in like every five minutes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and I got so overwhelmed today doing that that I started crying. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm totally off track from the the initial question that you asked. <laughs> oh no, no, you already you already covered the initial question. So we're just Okay. Just exploring now. Did you want to say what was your um what was your favorite scene, the particular one that, that made you cry today? Or yeah. Was it just the all of it? Well, I mean all of yeah, all of it. Of course, because uh, I cried the entire time. I cried more during Turning Red than I did during Everything Everywhere All at Once, which mm. is pretty shocking. But there's something about this movie, Turning Red, that like really tapped into some core part of myself that feels younger, mm. obviously, because it really centers on this 13-year-old and it, and it, and it felt like I was 13 and I felt extremely seen in the last one of the last scenes where the aunties and the grandmother from previous generations 
give up their red panda Mm. and the mother decides to also give up her red panda but the daughter decides to keep hers Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of tension between her and her mother but the line that like fucking kills me is um, the main character she says to her mother I'm scared it'll take me away from you and like for some reason that never that concept never was solidified for me until I saw that character say that out loud Mm. I didn't understand that I was afraid of distance from my family and what independence or or aligning with my identity or making a choice separate from what everyone else has done so far in my family lineage would lead to and then there's the last few lines the mother says it's like don't hold back for anyone the farther you go the prouder I'll be which is so it's such a fantastical line to hear from a parent (laughs) yes especially that talks about a culture that's like so steeped in tradition But that was really validating to hear. It was kind of like being in a therapist session and hearing your therapist say like, you're allowed to be angry in this moment. Like, oh, I am. I have this permission that I never have heard from anyone before. Yeah. It felt like that. And I mean, yeah, there's this meme going around about how like the the newest genre is films about parents apologizing to their kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and I was just thinking about that. And it's so beautiful because if we go back to what I was saying before about how you really experience things you see as if they're happening yeah that's it is healing to watch a cartoon say that kind of thing like it really is (laughs) it's huge it's 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 like I know that so-and-so would never say that in real life but man isn't it nice to see an example of what that would be like and Mm -hmm. to like hear those words at least through this like avatar of a character yeah absolutely the the scene you're talking about with the the relatives like giving up their their red panda and all that and then the main character chooses not to I felt like that was a a really beautiful metaphor for something we talk about in child psychology and psychology called breaking the cycle I think a lot of people are talking about this lately which is that a lot of us have trauma intergenerational trauma so like our great 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 grandparent traumatized their child who traumatized their child who traumatized their child like there's all this chain of like because they went through this they then did this to their children and then breaking the cycle is like when it gets to the child who's like actually I'm not gonna keep doing the same the same thing all at once and I do think it is a slow process where like each person is breaking the cycle a little bit yeah little tweaks to it but then there can be someone who's just drastically like no like I'm keeping my red panda (laughs) like I'm really like breaking the cycle and like going all in yeah yeah so I thought that was a really cool at least that's a possible interpretation of it yeah I, d- I definitely resonate with that and I actually was talking with my mother about this movie earlier today because I showed my parents this movie on my birthday this year oh nice and I was actually really nervous <laughs> to show <them>. yeah <laughs> I was like, they maybe they'll just think it's a cute movie and that'll be that. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely how my dad experienced it. It seems like he was just like, oh, this is fun. Big red panda. <laughs> like, <laughs> and my dad, who is an immigrant, I realized may not have had the same experience as me as a kid where representation was a, a void because he grew up in Hong Kong as a Chinese boy and was exposed to lots of movies with Chinese characters in them, Mm -hmm. even though it was owned by the British at the time Mm -hmm. or colonized Mm -hmm. (laughs) by the British at the time. But my mother and I are American born at Chinese and we're not used to seeing representation specifically of a Chinese girl growing up in a Westernized country or a Western country. And even though this is Canadian Chinese, it's very much felt American Chinese or Chinese American. But yeah, the the generational trauma. Uh, my mom, I actually recorded her earlier and I <laughs> asked her for, for permission to use the audio. Ooh, yes, I would love that. <laughs> and if she says yes, I'll send it to you. But I also like put a transcript of it, of what she said. And it really like, it was so interesting to hear her thoughts on it because it was very similar to how I felt, mm. but slightly different. And she said, Each auntie had a superpower that had been consciously suppressed into an object of jewelry, each unique to them. 
And now the girl herself was coming into her powers and her mother was petrified. I could feel the collective abandonment and separation each of the ancestors felt. And I could feel the solidarity and the desire to feel whole again, surrounded and supported. I kept thinking about how my whole lineage had been waiting to be held in this time. And I kept crying. It was time to take these burdens away from my shoulders. Mm. And I was just like, damn, mom, that's hella heavy. But yeah. it's so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She she says things in such poetic ways sometimes that it's hard for me to take. It's hard for me to like hold space for how mm. heavy she can word things. Mm. But the heaviness is very apt for the feeling that I also felt when watching that scene. Yeah. Even though it's a cartoon of a giant red panda <laughs> and women with red hair in, <laughs> made by Pixar, you know, yeah. they managed to like really encapsulate all of that somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful way to be able to because if you know if this is a wholly an adult movie for adults, then it would be probably more of a like straightforward narrative of like what actually happened without the metaphors. Right. But it's such a beautiful way to reach people who it's happening to right now, like to reach actual 13 year olds and eight year olds and 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 all that by having metaphor. And it's just more digestible and palatable. And also there's like the fun moments and the comedy and the cute panda to to kind of tamper down the really heavy emotions that are present. <laughs> yeah. And in, in that that scene that we were talking about, what I found upon my third watching of it today, particularly interesting was that when the mother and the grandmother and all the aunties go through the portal, they leave the bamboo forest in into the quote unquote real world <laughs> that we live in. And the girl in a way, her mother is saying, go forward into the future far away from me. Mm-hmm. But she choose her choice is to stay with her most oldest ancestor possible who started the red panda lineage to begin with. True. And that was fascinating to me where it's just like, oh, actually her older, her elders are going into the modern world, but she's choosing to stay in tradition by changing tradition yeah. <laughs> this way and I was I was kind of like struggling to grok what was going on here but I, I loved how this movie was able to say like you can break a cycle while still honoring tradition and mm-hmm. you can break a cycle without leaving your family completely or deserting them and in fact you can celebrate your family and your traditions even more through breaking those cycles Yeah. Which is a hard concept even now in my real life to like fully understand and and embody and live. It's really difficult to go to therapy or do self-work or work through shadow work as an individual without thinking, at least for me, like, oh, this is like a really white person thing to do, (laughs) (laughs) which is like... Like so cringy to say out loud, but I associate not handling those emotions with my culture as a Chinese person. Mm. Like as a Chinese person, I don't think about my feelings. I don't talk about my feelings. I don't acknowledge them. And and really what it is, is as a person who's dealing with generational trauma through being in an immigrant family, which all of us are in America, to mm. be frank, it, that is what I am not abandoning, but choosing to acknowledge and walk away from. Mm. But like, it took a really long time for me to actually grok that and understand it. And this film really encapsulates it in an interesting way. For kiddos. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so what I was saying earlier about it, perceiving it as a metaphor breaking the cycle, it goes even further because it also something that happens a lot of times when people do break the cycle, unfortunately, is that it results in abandonment or disjointedness from family, from the community, and especially in America where community is so broken and there's so many efforts made to prevent people from finding community that sometimes family is your only sense or source of community. And so that's terrifying to, to risk losing that, which is one of the great things about this film is it gives an example. It's giving an example for the child and an example for the family. Here's how you can do it right. <laughs> yes. Yes. A model yeah. or, or proof of concept at the yeah. very least. 
<laughs> yeah, this is how it could look. And because yeah. it's created by people, people who know what they're talking about, because it's based so much on Domi Shi's life, it's like accurate because like she comes from that experience and isn't just like making up a story completely. Totally. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just so exciting to see something like that where it's like, oh, it's possible. Even in this like crazy cartoon Pixar world, it's possible. But like, how can I apply this to my real life? And even since watching that movie, I've had this conversation with my parents where, well, okay. So like the week before this movie came out, my grandfather fell and broke his neck. And I, I lived with my grandmother for a solid seven days in her retirement home with her because my parents were dealing with the situation with my grandfather in the hospital. Mm. So like literally for seven days, right before I watched Turning Red, I was with my grandmother Mm. who was a a powerhouse in our family, (laughs) just like the grandmother in Turning Red, extremely Mm. controlling and, Mm. and feisty and fearsome and has this aura about her where you just don't fuck with her, you know, (laughs) she's a scary woman, but it's out of love and it's out of care. And it's also out of fear. Mm. And to, to watch this movie right after spending so much time with her for seven days straight, 24 seven, um, at her weakest moment too, was such a surreal experience. And yeah, so I was talking to my parents about this where, By the time I showed them the film in August of 2022, like multiple months later, my grandfather has passed by then. Mm. My grandmother is in memory care now. Mm. Now, as a family unit of my parents and I, we no longer have the control that my grandparents had over our lives Mm. where they were calling the shots 24-7. And I was like, holiday season's coming up this year. And we're not having Christmas at grandparents' house anymore because that doesn't exist anymore. And we're going to have to create a new tradition. What is What do we want that to look like? And none of us could come up with any ideas. We're like, we don't know how to pull things out of our butts. We don't like, <laughs> we don't, like, we don't have imagination when it comes to this stuff. We can't even fathom what we would want instead because there's no examples. There's no model Mm. And we've just always done what was told to us to do. Mm. So yeah, turning red is, is an awesome and exciting thing to exist because there is a model of how things could be done differently than before. Maybe that's not exactly how somebody wants to do it, but it's at least an example mm-hmm. and it gets the dialogue going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. This is such an important film. And I'm also so sorry to hear about your, your grandpa passing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, been a wild few months. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's actually, it's kind of crazy because I grew up with him talking about how there is no media for people like us, like mm. uh, Chinese Americans. And mm. when movies started coming out featuring Asian Americans, specifically Chinese Americans, I was trying to tell him, I was like, Gong Gong, it's happening. Like <laughs> there are Chinese American female directors making feature films that are in the theaters right now. And unfortunately he had gotten to a point in his age where like it, the information would go in one ear and out the other, and he didn't quite process it. Mm. Or maybe it did go in and he was like, no, this is like changing the entire paradigm of like what I believe in and has, and have like existed in for so Mm. long. I just can't accept that this is happening right now. Mm. And it's kind of crazy to like be in this world now where movies like the farewell or always be my maybe or crazy rich Asians and, and turning red and everything everywhere all at once exists. And like, he was right at the cusp of seeing that happen in the world, but didn't quite get to witness it, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty sad. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) Oh no, don't be sorry. I just wanted to give some space to that (laughs) good stuff okay (laughs) (laughs) well back to our questions you have very effectively answered my second question already so I didn't even have to ask it (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) our final question which we have touched on quite a bit already but we can explore it more if you'd like is how did this movie change or affect your life? Well, 
what was interesting was experiencing sobbing for the majority of the film (laughs) in theaters because it really like threw it in my face that representation does matter (laughs) I know yeah um and before I you know historically I've been pretty flippant about that I've I myself as a Chinese American have the identity struggle, but like to think that I'm special and unique and don't have the identity struggle. And that's <laughs> been like the platform I've been standing on since like third grade for some reason. Like, <laughs> oh, other Chinese Americans like don't belong anywhere, but like I feel fine anywhere I'm at. <laughs> and like this movie just completely like told me that the lie I was telling myself and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> damn yeah I was like oh shit I do have an identity crisis (laughs) oh no I have been seen and I wasn't seen before it it took the volume knob that you had set to zero and it was like actually 10 yeah Yeah, it was like a major case of the oh no's and also excitement but like to sit in a theater full of children who can watch this film and laugh at the jokes and enjoy it for what it is rather than be like, holy shit, I had to wait 32 years for this to exist in the world. And not only that, but there's so many people before me who just never got to and never will experience this. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Tears everywhere, snot everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And to have these kids just so like casually get to have this, I was like kind of mad and (laughs) jealous. Yeah. I was like, how dare this four-year-old next to me get to enjoy <laughs> themselves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, since then as a filmmaker, I'm realizing, oh, like there are so many stories that as a producer, I have supported and told and upheld and funded and done the logistics for that were stories that I didn't give a shit about. Mm. <laughs> for white men by white men, you know, and, and, you know, the particular white men that I work with are great human beings and their stories are valid and all of that. But it really did like throw me into a bit of a existential crisis uh, in terms of my career and what I've chosen to do so far Mm -hmm. and, and what the options are otherwise and how I should be handling my job differently and how I should be choosing my my collaborators differently, choosing how to work differently in, in film as well. And having, being more mindful, I guess, like you said, like the images that we're seeing and the feelings that we're having people feel through these films, they can be very, very real for some and to be more mindful of that Mm -hmm. and not in a cautious way necessarily, but also in a, Oh my God, what are the, what are the possibilities then? Like, what are some good feelings I can give people? Um, and good experiences that maybe don't exist in the world yet, but could. That's really opened my mind in like all sorts of little parts of my life where I'm more willing to imagine rather than tolerate the reality. Yes, I love that. Amazing. But this is slightly off topic, but everything you said is like how I feel. Yeah, everything you said is how I feel about K-dramas, which is very funny because I'm not Korean. (laughs) (laughs) But the way the K-dramas, like, it's like that. They just give you joy. They're like, hey, let's not just, like, amp up the trauma and emotional reaction just because we can. Let's just, like, be joyful and show, like, community and how people can work together on hard issues. And, like, yes, yeah. Look at the possibilities. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's so amazing the, the impact that this film has made because I'm hearing... I'm hearing the impact it made on you. And as we know from the messages of this movie and from the the representation, we know you're not alone. Mm. So knowing that the way that you feel is probably the way so many other people feel. And that means so many people are inspired and feel seen and are going to be able to go forward. And with that inspiration to, to continue, you know, pay it forward, like bring forward, bring yes. more of that into into the film and into other art industries it's it's just beautiful it really shows the the power of film 
more more <laughs> m-o-a-r more <laughs> yes yeah it's really true I mean and there's you know it's also been interesting seeing some of the negative feedback the reviewer Sean O'Connell mm. for cinema blend <laughs> he wrote this review and has since rescinded it Good. But there's it was a super negative review of, about the movie basically saying it wasn't relatable to him as a white man. That's uh, right. I saw the memes about this idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't relate to being a 13-year-old Chinese girl. No one cares, dude. <laughs> it's clearly not for you, sir. Like <laughs> this isn't yeah, for me. Like not only that, but he also like talked mad shit about like how horny quote-unquote it was he was like oh it's like pubescent and like hormones soaked and jesus um, yeah and it was just like well what were you doing when you were 13 like i remember being kind of crazy with hormones yeah when i was 13 years old in eighth grade and like drawing crazy cartoons in my journal and my mother finding it like that legit happened yeah she didn't go as far as to like showing them to my peers and like absolutely taking it to your crush yeah (laughs) but like that's a real thing that can happen at that age and like why not show that in films yeah why not have a, a real scene like that for kids when that's something they're gonna go through you know yeah And I will say something about a, oh, an adult white man describing a child as horny. I don't creepy. like that. No. So creepy. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, she's like, she's exploring sexuality as a child who has never experienced it. Yes, that's happening. But yeah, you don't, not you, dude. <laughs> don't. The way, yeah, the way it was written was like, it made it infinitely more disgusting. <laughs> And yeah, and and other comments, like, I recognize the humor in the film, but I didn't connect with any of it, which made me think of literally every other film I've ever watched. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the club. Not everything is for you. One of the films I grew up watching was Sandlot. And like, everyone's like, oh, iconic, classic Sandlot. That's like my childhood right there. And I'm like, (laughs) I remember watching that movie as a kid and being like, I don't play outside with (laughs) other kids. This is not my experience. You know, I don't crush soda cans. I don't drink soda. Like, (laughs) you know, who are these like character children in a group and where are their parents? Like what is going on? And yet everyone else is like, yeah, this is like the quintessential childhood experience, which is, yeah, it was kind of funny to like read this dude's article and be like huh that's how I feel about every every other movie I've ever seen like you were talking about earlier yeah it's it's all these like quote-unquote classics that everyone has to see of the same stupid story over and over again that like many of us do not resonate with or relate to yeah and his review is just a perfect example of why of why that's bullshit because the best movie ever the best movies is all based on if it's based on relatability if you're if you're basing whether a movie is good or not and whether you personally relate to it or not it's not how you know no it's hogwash yeah (laughs) totally silly yeah yeah so that yeah that was interesting to see the fallout from there I remember watching the trailer like months before the actual movie came out and I was like at the first few seconds I was like so nervous I was like, oh, I don't know. This is probably going to not be done well. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of the trailer, I was so fucking stoked. I was <laughs> like, if this is what I think it's going to be, like, this is wild. And I cannot wait for this. And I just like, couldn't, can I usually will like hold myself back and be like, okay, just keep my expectations low. Keep it chill. Like mm-hmm. maybe it won't be that great. Expect the worst. But this, for for some reason, I knew that like this was gonna be a big deal to me, and it totally was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for for being on the show and for sharing your stories and your feelings. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Aubrey. You're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and amazing. For holding space and yeah. responding with words that I think I really needed to hear. <laughs> of course. It. I'm glad. If people would like to follow your projects or find out more about you, is there anywhere you'd like to direct them on the internet? Yeah, check out my Instagram. <laughs> 
Uh, my handle is at your highness 336 y-o-u-r-h-i-g-h-n-e-s-s 336 <laughs> it is my aol instant messenger screen name from when i'm 13 years old oh my god nice <laughs> so don't judge me my name is Raina. it means plain <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I always understood. I'm a real one. Thank you. <laughs> I'm blank. Yeah. Yes. And please follow Raina because she posts, she has just lovely posts, but also she's an amazing singer and guitar player. She posts like some of her songs and her, her voice is just amazing. Follow her. Y'all already have heard Aubrey sing as well, I'm assuming. Well, I don't know. I've never sung on the podcast. Oh. It depends on how hard people are stalking me from the podcast. Things you might want to consider. <laughs> I don't I don't not have a song cloud. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Raina, for being on the show. Thank you. Bump his ass a hoppin'.